As we start out this morning, I want to share with you uh, some excerpts from an online article that I read. It's, it's on the uh, website relevantmagazine.com. It was actually posted April, of 20, or April 29th of 2016, so it was, it was a few years back. But the article was written by Jesse Carey, and it's titled, Jesus Flipping Tables Isn't an Excuse for Your Online Rants, with a subtitle, Anger Should Be the Exception, Not the Standard. I thought, well, as we talk about dancing with Jesus today, and as we talk about the temple slam, this is the dance where Jesus cleanses the temple. I thought this was a good article to draw some illustration from. You see, this this temple slam, it's a good old-fashioned stomp kind of dance, if you will. If it were actually a real dance, I would kind of picture it as a a mosh pit, which isn't really dancing, but it's more like just people jumping up and down and throwing themselves all over the place. I wouldn't call it dancing, but some would. Uh, Maybe it might even resemble that late night Monopoly game where someone gets frustrated and flips over the Monopoly board and the game table. You know, fake money, little hotels, little greenhouses and game pieces just go flying. Uh, I bring that up because last week Dylan and I and and a friend of his, Callie, got into a Monopoly tournament. It ended up being a two-evening game where we played Monopoly uh, well into the evening on both nights. And yes, I dominated, just so you know. I came out the victor. I had all the properties and just under $13,000 of cold, hard Monopoly cash when it was all over, and they had tears. It was good, though. Our first evening that we played, I thought Callie would be cleansing our dining room table in a similar fashion as to Jesus doing the temple slam. We played that night from 6.30 to around 9.30 that evening, and every time she would come around go, you know, in Monopoly, you pass go, you collect $200, and you keep on going. She would come around go, collect her $200, and land on income tax, which then took your $200 back. She never got to collect money. Actually, one time in three hours of gameplay, she got to keep her $200 for passing go. Oh, we celebrated with her. We didn't give her more than $200, but we were were happy to see her finally accomplish getting to keep her money. And I I think it's only fair also that you need to know, uh, Callie did not do the temple slam in my dining room. She didn't flip over the Monopoly board or the dining room table, so we were happy about that. She played well, even with the frustrations that she came to depend on every time she went around the Monopoly board. Now think about this for a second. I want to transition to Jesus. Jesus is an adult. He was born God's son. We've we've talked about how he's fully God, fully man. He grew up seeing this activity in the temple. This was not an isolated event where he showed up at the temple and and people were selling these animals just one time. This This was common. He would especially see it when there was a big celebration like Passover or an atonement time when people would travel in from all over. Uh, There was nothing wrong um, with purchasing the animal you needed for sacrifice. You need to understand that also. But the problem was the money changers and the people who who were caring for the livestock, they had a system where people were losing money in the exchange rate and in the cost of the animals and and everyone was profiting from the sale of the sacrificial animals. Also, you could bet that the temple was getting its share too. There was even a temple tax on these products. And and so Jesus has witnessed this for years, this, this heartbreak. Every time he went to the temple, uh, the place that was built to honor his father, he would see and he would find it filled 
with people uh, just trying to make a buck and, and, and filled with animals uh, like a common market. Think of Callie's frustration passing go on the Monopoly board every night to collect $200 only to give it back to the bank as she would land inevitably on the income tax spot. And, and, and I'm not comparing Jesus to Callie. I'm just trying to put it into some cultural relevance for us. And then, and then here's Jesus growing up, going to the temple, going as we learned as a young man. He, he was in the temple because he was concerned to be about his father's business, continually going to the temple only to see it turned into a crude farmer's market where people continually are being taken advantage of. Keep these scenes in your mind while I prepare myself to step on your toes. You might want to go ahead and pick your feet up, put them on the coffee table or the ottoman in front of you. Here it comes. This article that I want to share is from April 2016, but it's very true. It's very relevant for us today. And here's how it starts out. If you read through Facebook, if you read through enough comment threads on Facebook involving Christians lately, you will likely run across this. That angry post where the writer, using the story of Jesus cleansing the temple as an excuse for their unnecessarily strong language. Uh, the person's comment usually references a, a whip-wielding Jesus flipping over tables and forcibly removing money changers, employing a righteous anger to correct injustice. Often, this story is actually becomes the, uh, a non-apology for getting angry and posting some biting commentary on a divisive political issue or theological controversy or a discussion on some polarizing social issue. It usually starts out like this. I'm sorry if this comment about fill in the blank doesn't sound nice. Uh, but Jesus wasn't exactly nice either when he kicked people out of the temple and threw around the tables. That's usually how the comment will start out. So I want to pause right there for a second because the story of Jesus kicking out the money changers appears several times in the Gospels, including a detailed account in John chapter 2, verses 13 through 22. And that's what I want to look at today. John chapter 2, verses 13 through 22. Here's what it says. The Passover of the Jews was at hand, and Jesus went to Jerusalem. In the temple, he found those who were selling oxen and sheep and pigeons and the money changers sitting there. And making a whip of cords, he drove them all out of the temple with the sheep and oxen. And he poured out the coins of the money changers and overturned their tables. And he told those who sold the pigeons, take these things away. Do not make my father's house a house of trade. His disciples remembered that it was written, zeal for your house will consume me. So the Jews said to him, what sign do you show us for doing these things? Jesus answered them, destroy this temple. And in three days, I will raise it up. The Jews then said, it has taken 46 years to build this temple. And will you raise it up in three days? But he was speaking about the temple of his body. I love what John writes here in verse 22. When therefore he was raised from the dead, his disciples remembered that he had said this. And they believed the scripture and the word that Jesus had spoken. So this this temple cleansing, the, the whips and the, the tables and the money and the animals, and it, it's a jarring image. It's a jarring image of, of what some would call a violent Jesus, physically casting away people, abusing the church he loves and protects. 
people are not wrong in saying that Jesus was unapologetically displaying a righteous anger here uh, to prevent people from being taken advantage of in the name of God. In the story, Jesus is, is fired up. He's clearly irate and he's angry. But the reason that this imagery is so powerful is the exact same reason it should not be a default excuse for every angry Christian online rant. Uh, this act of Jesus, it was seemingly out of character for him. The Gospels paint a picture of a Jesus who, who is complex but consistent, practicing the kind of behavior that he preached to others. He told his followers to love their enemies and their neighbor as themselves. I preached on that last week. In the Sermon on the Mount, he also praised the poor in spirit. He praised the peacemakers. He praised the merciful. He praised the meek. The Apostle John distilled the fruit of the Spirit that Jesus taught into love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. And followed it with this line, Let us not be conceited, provoking and envying each other. So Jesus uh, grabbing a whip and throwing people out of the temple who were using it for profit is a powerful story. There's powerful imagery here because Jesus preached peacemaking, not fighting. He preached patience and gentleness, not anger and violence. If he was getting that angry, it was clear that an extremely grave offense was being committed. Uh, the kind of behavior Jesus displayed in the temple that afternoon isn't by any means forbidden, but it wasn't exactly a daily part of his life either. The story remains powerful because it's an example of how we should reserve this type of action for rare occurrences of extreme injustice. We should not make this kind of anger part of our regular lives. It should be so exceptional when we as Christians display this kind of anger that people take notice. Getting defensive or, or simply overly divisive and ungracious on social media and in conversation all of the time isn't Christ-like, even if you use the story of Jesus at the temple as your excuse. Jesus' ministry involved relatively little whipping and table turning. And the reason the tactic was effective was because it was reserved for an extreme situation. I want to hit on something here as well. Jesus was not beating the people with the whip that he made. Uh, when you look at this whole story and the way that it's written... John writes, he drove them all out of the temple with the sheep and the oxen. He drove out the animals like a herdsman would. And of course, the people also followed because he was driving out their animals. He was releasing their animals. He also told those selling pigeons, get them out of here. Get them out of the temple. Yes, he, he turned over the table of the money changers. I wonder, though, who was most upset for that? The money changers or the people who would profit on collecting the tax for the temple from the money changers. That's just my random thought for the day. But back to today, the problem with using this story of Jesus as justification for what we like to call righteous anger is this. In, in my opinion, we are not really capable of righteous anger. Not in the same way that Jesus is. Now remember, I've said this, he, he is fully God and fully man. We, on the other hand, are fully human, created in God's image, but given free will. And that right there is kind of the kink in the armor, so to speak. Uh, on my own, my righteousness is like filthy rags. Now, now, I can only speak to my life here because I know me well. And I will tell you this about me. Anger is a good friend of mine. I grew up with anger. Anger kept me safe. 
Anger protected me for many years. Anger kept me from being taken advantage of for many years. Anger in my life has been anything but righteous. And here's a moment of transparency for you. As a Christian, the only thing anger has done for me is to embarrass me and disappoint my Jesus. I don't have it in me for righteous anger. Once I allow anger in, I forget all of the goodness that should be in me. I forget all of the fruit of the Spirit and the disciplines that we're called to practice. Once I allow anger in, I forget all of that. All the love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, gentleness, self-control, goodness, these things, we're supposed to practice those. We're supposed to consume those. Listen, we are never instructed by God's Word to practice righteous anger. Listen to me, brothers and sisters. You can stand up for injustice and not be a jerk about it. Social media, the news, Facebook, and our culture today, they have allowed people to engage in ways that no one could have ever predicted. And for all of its ability for good, connecting the world, giving us instant uh, gratification on things, maintaining relationships, it carries with it very specific risks. We begin to digitize interactions, distill them into typed words with no face-to-face -face consequences, with no accountability. We can strip the humanity out of any communication if we let it. And then all of a sudden, we're in a place where confrontation and accountability stops being a rare occurrence for rare situations and starts becoming a standard part of our dialogue. Loving your neighbors. Loving your online strong reaction stops becoming a rare occurrence for rare situations and starts becoming a standard part of our dialogue. Loving your neighbors. Loving your online neighbors and enemies stops looking so loving. Taking out a whip and flipping tables becomes the norm. We stop being known for our love and start being known for our anger. That's not how we're instructed to live. The message of salvation that Jesus taught shapes the life of Christians, and so should his life itself. Jesus was the Word made flesh. That's why taking a single story out of context to excuse our own bad behavior is so dangerous. It risks distorting the message of Christ that he was actually teaching and living. Our lives should not be defined by our anger, no matter how righteous we think it is. The story of Jesus cleansing the temple does show that we're allowed to be angry. But the life of Jesus teaches us that anger is the exception. And because his peace and his love, those things should be the standard for us. And at the end of the day, people will remember your actions more than they will remember your words. And at the end of the day, we are called to be a reflection of Christ to the world Yes, there are accounts in Scripture of him being angry, but before his wrath was let loose, his love came first. Parents, you know how discipline works. Our, our kids don't like it. Discipline is part of our love for our kids. That's why we say things like, this is going to hurt me more than it's going to hurt you. And I've never known a child to believe that, but I've known many a parent that have said it, myself included, and felt it. We should never take joy in discipline. God doesn't find joy when he disciplines us, but his word says that he disciplines the ones he loves. So as we dance with Jesus through life, when it comes to things like judgment and righteous anger and, and tipping over tables and the actions 
that come with a dance like the temple slam. Let's leave that up to the righteous judge. And this morning, as we come to our response time, consider your own dance with anger, with temptation, with whatever it is. Is Jesus involved? Is he leading this dance? Are you leading this dance? Or are you allowing your emotions, are you allowing anger to lead this dance? Maybe this morning, you simply need to spend some time in a moment of repentance before God for your latest online rant or moment of embarrassing anger where you simply lost your mind and then tried to justify it. Maybe you just need to commit here today that you will leave the righteous anger to the righteous judge and you will declare to be a reflection of his love. Whatever your response is this morning, consider how you can honor God as we sing our response song. If you would like accountability with your decision, share it with us in the comments or send us an email at office at hsbcc.org. Don't wait. Respond to him. Do this as we sing our response song this morning.